Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. This is Trav. And this is Jonathan. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast of deciding what reality is today. It's always changing. Roll a die, folks. Just roll a die. Yep. This week we are talking about, well, it's basically a website. It's a wiki. It's a uh, collaborative a venture by a number of writers called the SCP Foundation. And Jonathan is our point person on this particular resource for supernatural and modern conspiratorial type uh, uh, adventure games. So, Jonathan, tell us, what is the SCP Foundation? Well, as you mentioned, it is a wiki of collaborative writers. The SCP Foundation itself within its universe is a globe-spanning secretive institution that captures anomalous entities and objects to study them. And that's about it. Well, the SCP means... Secure, contain, protect. And, it's, and they're referring to not us, the oh, American people or whatever. They're talking about the objects. Yeah. And they're not, just, they're not always physical. Sometimes they're concepts, <laughs> which we'll get into a little later. Yes. You have all sorts of weirdness. That is wonderful when it comes – when you have the imagination of the internet providing for you. Okay. So uh, – uh, why is this such an obvious use as a source of inspiration for the B-13 adventures? Well, you've you've definitely got the fact that it is most of the stories and entries on the on the website are set in modern day or near future. And that's all about strange phenomenon. Statues that kill you when you're not looking at them. The zombie plague is an entry on that website. Monsters that eat memories. Uh, just a slew of ideas that you can adapt for your own Bureau 13 campaign. Right. Now, the last time we had something like this, it was when we were going through the list of objects that were in either a uh, Warehouse 13 or even before that, uh, the um, – oh, now I'm forgetting the name. Friday the 13th show? Friday the 13th, yeah, because they had their little uh, – vault that they had all these objects that they were collecting all these cursed objects and oh, so yeah. yeah we went through and we and earlier in the podcast history we went through those objects talking about what they did and what and, and how you could use them and of course now that the show's been off the air for 10 years or so you can actually run them in your game and your players probably have no idea <laughs> <laughs> at the time we were all like yeah we know what it was that we saw that like six months ago on the show and you know we can't use that as an adventure but now it's 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 all good again it's all evergreen so so there's already two sources that we've talked about this is a third source 
which uh, nobody seems to have mentioned, just like nobody seemed to mention the uh, second world source book that uh, Trav got his hands on and used in the uh, D20 edition of uh, uh, Bureau 13. So, yep. uh, so this is something that we think is going to be very, very helpful if you know, as a resource, because I mean, you know, what's the biggest question? What adventures are we going to run for our our, our players? You know, I mean, you know, we haven't we done everything? Well, uh, <laughs> as we'll find out, there's an awful lot of everything left still to do. That randomized encounter table in in the in the base rulebook can only be used so far. Yeah, well, but there's a there's a, um, a randomizing object on that wiki. So you so you can yeah. basically say, what are we going to do next week? Push the buttons. Let's find out. Take me to a random SCP. That's right. Uh, all the objects, uh, by the way, are labeled with SCP dash and a number. Uh, and the, the number uh, corresponds to how long, you know, you know, basically when people thought them up, except for number one. SCP-001 uh, is, in fact, hotly contested. There are 19 candidates for that one because essentially it was like, you know, you decide to start classifying things. Which one gets the number one, you know, the, the entry number one? Well, there's lots of things that could go in there. So there's a lot of uh, 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 hotly contested ideas as to what number one should be. There's a total of 19 of them. The number one spot is so, you know, like fundamental to the idea that they, they don't want to assign it to any one entry. So they uh, they have this idea of like, there's multiple number ones and only the overseers know for sure. Right. Well, uh, do you want to talk about the SCP Foundation and how it's put together? And We can talk about it. So as we mentioned, the, the SCP Foundation itself, uh, it is a global secret organization uh, very similar to Bureau 13, but in, like I said, the global sense. So they're not bound by any countries. Uh, they ignore national laws. They don't care. Uh, they seem to be self-funded. I think there might be a few tales on the website that may might talk about how they get funded, but it's really unimportant. All you need to know is they have all the money they want or need. Well, they have as much money as they need is probably the more accurate statement. <laughs> But see, some of these objects require immense amounts of money in order to keep them safe. So uh, that's why sometimes, you know, a lot of money is involved and sometimes not a lot of money is involved. So, uh, again, talk about uh, how, how are they structured? So there are a number of classes in the uh, organization. There's the O5 Council, which are the top 13. Yeah, I should go ahead and say now that everything we talk about here is up for debate and interpretation because there is no official canon to the SCP wiki. It's all kind of loosey-goosey as different writers take the things in their own directions, so anyone who views the site can, you know, interpret it however they want. But yeah, typically the, the O5 Council or the, the top layer, they are the ones who run the foundation, and there are usually 13. Uh, usually no one knows who they are, Sometimes it's well-known who they are. Again, that weird mix-and-match canon. Um, and then below them is usually the uh, site directors, the individuals who are responsible for an entire foundation base or outpost. 
Yeah, they have pretty much carte blanche control inside their site. Yeah, as long as they don't do anything that's like da- dangerous to like the foundation or the world as a whole, they usually can do whatever they want. Uh, and then below them, you have individual researchers who are assigned to one or two SCPs and study them and try and ex- you know understand how they work and what their anomalous properties are and how to contain them. And then the usually the lowest class below all the researchers are the what's called D class, which are the expendable people, the criminals uh, stolen away from death rows of various prisons who are used as guinea pigs for all the tests. Yeah, under the people, under the site directors, they're basically, uh, the categories are containment specialists, researcher, which you mentioned, security tactical response officers, field agents, and mobile task forces, which are special units tasked with just certain jobs, like, you know, the people that do the cleaning, the people that administer the uh, uh, memory uh, uh, reduction. Amnestics, as they're called, yeah. Right. So uh, those are those are the personnel that fall under the site director's uh, control. So it's uh, and, and then as you said, then the then the people up to that are the D class, which are sadly, you know, worse than red shirts. Red shirts get respect. I mean, before <laughs> yeah, that's they true. kill them you off. mourn a red shirt. These, <laughs> these people are just you know, well, you know. <laughs> There's always more of them, you know. It's like it's like the Scrooge in, in the Christmas Carol have have the have the uh, have the uh, poor houses, you know, the workhouses close their doors, you know, <laughs> you know, and and they're like, oh no, Lord, unfortunately they're still open. Well, thank goodness, <laughs> we can find more D class. So there's always going to be somebody who. Uh, you know who's who's willing to uh, take that uh, designer drug from the uh, company to uh, for for a uh, hundred dollars for a study. You know you see them in the bus on the bus trains in Atlanta. They're like saying we're having a study up to a thousand dollars reimbursement. You know all drugs and medical tests provided. And you do get the impression that a lot of these D class don't want to be. It's just this or death row. Well, yeah, yeah. there are people that are doing that rather than just dying real quick. True, yeah. They, they'll, they'll take anybody they can get that nobody will, will cry when they're gone. Right. And theoretically, if they if they do survive, then, then they might get a reduction in their sentence. That's one of the reasons people do do these things. And again, that kind of depends on the canon. And some of the canons, the, the foundation doesn't let any of them survive. If you go a month surviving as a D-class, you're just a... You're you're just exterminated. Well, because let's say you survive, and let's say yeah, they can't let you out because now you know you know it's the you know too much. You know, <laughs> so what are you going to do with them? I mean, unless they have skills that you could put them on a mobile team, a mobile task force. Yeah, yeah, your best. There's no up, to just... there's no upward mobility in the SCP. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's some. If if you're a site director, you might become an O5 one day. No, least... I meant if you're D class. <laughs> no, no, you're upward dead. Mobility. D for no, dead. Uh, yeah, they can remove your memory, but if you've actually come into contact with some of these anomalous, uh, uh, yeah, you can be permanently changed. Yeah, you can be permanently changed, and you you therefore need to be contained as well. So. Killing somebody is a real easy way of containing them. Well, yeah, it's like, <laughs> let's say you, you send one of these D classes. Okay, we need somebody to find out how that this is an anomalous being 
you know, and contact with a human, you know, what would happen to the human? Send in that prisoner we got from, you know, um, Huron Valley up in Michigan. They send him in there and all of a sudden they mutate and they've got powers. Well, then now you have to kill him because if not, he's going to escape and God knows what's going to happen there. So, yeah. Right. Or, I, or you contain him and keep studying him. What are your powers? Let's see. What's happening well, when we poke you with a stick? Yeah. The, the, um, uh, a good example is one of the ones that um, is it's it's one of the more dangerous ones. It's a it's a Dell computer, and it it, it, it I'm going to want to use the word magically because that implies something. It suddenly appeared in one of the containment facilities, uh, and it's uh, uh, so they started testing it. They turn it they go into it. There is one, there's a one program on its hard drive. You run the program, and basically the screen comes up, and, if, and there's three uh, boxes that appear on the screen. One accepts a, uh, a date range from 2004 to present. Anything outside that range that is not accepted. Okay. As soon as you type in a date in the date range, and by you, you I mean one of these D-class people, okay, uh, experimental subjects, they disappear. They're gone. All right, and then uh, uh, and then you see uh, uh, a a little graphic, and the little graphic has uh, this dog on a chain, and this woman shows up and takes off the chain, and dog goes running off into the distance and disappears. Then the uh, chat window becomes active, and uh, and and this username comes up. It's always a variation of the same username. It's the person that. Uh, that was the D class. They, they, uh. they, they, the, the chat window. You start talking to somebody, and after a certain amount of time, you know, and they'll say they're they're basically they're they're of, of the time period, whatever time period you typed in. So it's like you know, if you typed in January first, two thousand and seven, they're talking to you from January first, two thousand and seven. And it's, you know, but nothing seems to ever change in your timeline. And after a certain period of time, the chat window closes and everything shuts off. And then until you do the experiment again. Well, one of the times the person comes on and basically says, you know, I'm going to tell you the truth. And the truth is, is that when the chat window closes, because it, it, again, it was one of the researchers, you know, uh, when the chat window closes, it, that's because this universe I'm in has ended. <laughs> so that's what, so it's like, you know, and, and uh, so, I, I mean, he knows he's got li like uh, hours to to a couple of days before that happens. And he's like, it's, it's, it's glorious and it's terrible. And they're like, what, you know, what's, ha why, I mean, do you, do you know it's coming? Do you know, how do you, whatever. And, and usually the answers are always cryptic. It's like you'd think somebody would be, you know, but that's that's part of the uh, uh, the way that the, these things are written. They're is they're really trying to establish a feeling of horror, and horror operates best when you have limited information. Yeah, it's there's there's not a lot of definitive answers. There's experiments, there's theories, but it's rare for any of these entries to have a, this is exactly what is happening. Well, right. when I the one video I saw Monday night was the one, I think it was SCP-500, and it was just simply, why? And it was the scenario where apparently 
the SCP went rogue and public and let all their stuff out and basically they let out this worldwide announcement yes we are the SCP Foundation for the past 100 years we have been charged with this our new mission is the extermination of the human race this will be the last time we contact you and there's one agent that's wearing like basically an invisibility suit that supports him so he doesn't need to eat doesn't need to breathe doesn't need to sleep problem is he's still looking like he hasn't slept in like weeks but he doesn't need and and he was some pissant technician at some site and all of a sudden you know they they bring him in because they find out yeah we found out this guy is this i, I forget his name but and he's there at the site and he's like no i don't know of this suit i don't know what it is yet that you're saying this guy is me and he's going across the country trying to find a particular scp site and he's just seeing the, the collapse of society because the the foundation let out various SCPs to just wipe out humanity. All the things. Animated viruses, you know, power armors from alternate dimension, just anything they had to, to complete their new mission. And that's why that SCP-500, it was just titled, Why? Right. No one knows why they're trying to destroy all life human life on the planet. And this is clearly coming from an alternate universe, possibly an alternate timeline. But also what you said, and it, it, this was a prime example, what you said about horror works best with limited information. There were a lot of files of certain experiments that this guy in the, the I think it was called an exclusion suit, where it yes. just, until he pulls the hood off or you know deactivates it, you don't know he's there. He can walk totally right. out. But, and I noticed this in other videos, there's a lot of redacted files and redacted sentences in these files because the SCP don't know what's going on or if somebody's reading them by the time they get to it, no, this information's already been deleted, the file's corrupted, the black marker on the words on a, on a memo, that type of thing. Yeah. So... You definitely see that in a lot of the early... SCPs, um, that that has kind of drifted away in these later years where they just, they leave it to just not explaining it. They don't feel the need to try to redact everything just to add that weird feeling anymore. So what Travis uh, is talking about is that there are, what are, there are a few what they call exclusion sites. And these are, these are sites that, because of how they're constructed, they are essentially isolated temporally from the rest of the universe. It doesn't mean that they disappear. It just means that any changes to the timeline that occur outside of the, of the site doesn't affect the people who are inside the site. And so they can tell if time has been changed. And so one of the things that they did was that they wanted to make a kind of an environmental suit that had the same properties so that they could go out and do their work and come back to the site without having to expose themselves to any changes in time that might have occurred outside the site. So um, they created this exclusionary suit uh, and in which essentially uh, – uh, they they find it and it's basically in a really destroyed it's it's in a kind of destroyed fashion okay the guy inside basically seems like he's fallen a couple hundred feet 
before impacting in the suit. Yeah. Uh, and so he's dead, and all there is are files that are on the hard drive inside the computer system inside of the suit. And those are what tell the story of this man's journey uh, from his site to other places trying to figure out what's going on. You know, uh, is there anything I can do? Do I want to try to do anything? You know, do I just want to try to stay alive? And uh, so that's that's what that it's all about. So they've got this object, and the uh, and they basically uh, it's they're they're keeping it safe, you know, because of the information that's in it. But at the same time, is is that it's it's unlikely to do anything. They don't expect it to like suddenly manifest any special capabilities. It's just the information itself. So, um, but it, it says it was involved in some kind of a temporal or uh, a reality shift. There's always the chance that it could exhibit other properties in the future. So that's one reason why they're keeping it isolated yeah. and, and stored. A common theme throughout the SCP universe is this idea of, Alternate universes, parallel worlds, outside dimensions, to alternate timelines. Uh, that seems to be a very, very common trope throughout the, the, the universe. And I think a lot of that is also the fact that because, again, they don't have an official canon, that's a very easy reason to allow any writer to write whatever they want and it create whatever canon they want. So... Uh... Uh, Thomas, why don't you talk about how they're classified, these objects? So there's technically four common, uh, I guess you could say official classifications for these entities and objects. There's safe, which doesn't mean that it's, you know, won't kill you. It just means it's easy to contain. If it's like a key that doesn't do anything on its own, if you put it in a box or put it in a drawer and close it up, and don't touch it, nothing will happen, that's safe. If it's a ray gun that blows a crater a mile wide out of anything you point at, as long as, again, it doesn't do it on its own, it's considered safe. Uh, and then there is Euclid, which is the more unpredictable... Um, for Anything that is a humanoid, anything that has a will of its own, would be considered Euclid, because you, it could do things on its own. You might still be able to contain it, but you actually have to take some active steps. You can't just lock it away. You actually have to watch it. You have to, if it's a person, you might have to care for it, give it food, m make sure they're in a good mood, uh, things of that nature. But outside of that, as long as you're taking some steps, should be easy to contain. Yeah. Now, an example of Euclid uh, is the uh, one uh, is there's an basically an IKEA. And you go inside the Ikea and you find yourself in another Ikea, except this Ikea is like 10 miles square. It's like the infinite <laughs> it's, Ikea. It's, it's ginormous. Okay. And inside that, there are like 18 other individuals who were already in it when, you know, before it was found. And they're not allowed. Well, it's not that they're not allowed to leave. They don't even know how to get out. Mostly, and there's another group of of creatures in there, and they're kind of like um, 
poor artist renderings of what an Ikea employee would look like. They're wearing the pants, they're wearing the red shirts, but they have no faces, just a blank area of skin. They're kind of hulking. And uh, if you if they find you during uh, hours, not normal operating hours, they'll attack you and attempt to kill you. Uh, but they'll treat you, they'll just ignore you. As a, as a good proper IKEA employee would do, I suppose, uh, during regular operation hours. Okay, so um, it, researchers will go in, and 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 you know, and 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 after a while, they will they will attempt to leave, and it, if they do manage to get out, uh, because there are a number of exits to this place, but it's a really big place. If they do manage to get out, then... Uh, I mean, an Ikea usually, is already difficult, so imagine an infinite yeah. size Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, at which point then they have to you know file reports and stuff like that in a lot of cases. In some cases, if, if the person was a D-class, they're going to have to apply a uh, amnesia uh, a drug to them or even just, you know, terminate them. Uh, there, there was... The reason is... The, and so what they had to do was they basically had to buy the entire retail uh, uh, strip that this building was in. Uh, you know, and it's only a normal size building, by the way. It's, it's when you get inside that you've got all the ex larger on the inside kind of thing. Uh, so they had to buy the entire area. They had to redirect all traffic away from it, so that might involve building roads, which could cost millions of dollars. Okay, they have to have an ongoing uh, observation site on the building itself because sometimes the creatures come out. Sometimes the creatures do well. They only come out when they're chasing somebody. One of the mm -hmm. eighteen people that were inside actually managed to get find their way out, and one of the creatures chased it and killed it before they killed the creature. Yeah. You know, of course, they're, they're, the, uh, the SCP is very happy to have these samples <laughs> oh, yeah. to uh, yeah. to examine and, and, and autopsy and things like that. Uh, but it's which kind of shows you their, you know, their their sympathy for the people inside. Uh, so that's what they're talking about, like a Euclid. It's it's uh, it's difficult to contain because it's such a big place and nobody can really I mean, they uh they could theoretically, like, you know, brick up the front of the building, and so nobody could come out that door. But it also means nobody can go in, so they can't study. So instead, they're having, a, you know, they, they have a big research thing going on here, and that costs a lot of money. It's not taking a key, sticking it in a drawer, locking the drawer, and just leaving it alone for the next hundred years. They're actively involved in checking this out because, of course, they want to understand how something can be bigger on the inside. Oh, come on, oh, yeah. a big blue box that's bigger on the inside than the outside. What kind of stupid idea? Oh, wait a minute, never mind. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and, and of course, you know, they're doing it without any apparent use of energy. So that's important. Uh, they're, if they, again, if they could do that, then you could, um, you know, you could have a space shuttle the, the size of a model rocket, fire it to Mars, and everybody inside would be fine. They could carry all the food and water and everything else they need. And when they get there, they'd have, you know, 10 square miles of, of living space to live in while they were on Mars and go out and do their explorations. And, 
even have a fully constructed return vessel for them to take out at the end of it and fly home. A true clown car anyone could fit in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so there's a, uh, there's a, and of course, if someone's dropping nukes, you know, then it, you could build a really strong box and just big enough for you to go through the door. And then the inside is in a completely different universe. So therefore, you know, they did, they did say that if you break through the walls, of the um, of of the inside IKEA, you find yourself in the original IKEA store, mm. okay. and then you can exit. So, under worst case scenarios, where if you get lost or something and you don't know how to get out, you can essentially burrow through the walls, and you'll find yourself in the regular store and be able to leave. So, just little weird things like that. I mean, that's that's what's an example of a. Um, of, of a Euclid class object. And most of the objects on the SCP Wiki are considered Euclid. Things that they've got contained, they feel confident they've got it contained, they just have to keep an active presence. They can't just leave it alone. Yeah. Okay. So, and then the next one. The next one above that is Keter, um, which is the really impossible to contain stuff. The stuff that... Well, difficult. If it is contained, it's by, you know, near miracle or by, you know, hundreds and thousands of man hours and constant effort. It's not something you, you have to observe. It's something you have to constantly work at containing where research isn't usually an option with these things. It's just all your effort is in keeping it contained if it's contained. It's also what's used for the things that aren't contained, the things that we just can't figure out yet. Yeah, but but more often than not, you know, these things are literally things that would destroy us as a species, our world, our universe if they if they were not contained. Usually, yeah, but again, because this classification system isn't ranked on actual danger so much as on how easy it is to contain, you do have some Keter objects that are perfectly harmless or maybe even beneficial. The, the foundation just has no way of keeping them contained. They do their own thing, whether the foundation wants them to or not. And uh, an example of a Keter object uh, was a, uh, a creature that, could, that was immortal, could not be killed in any way. And if, anything, if, you, if anybody saw its face, it would hunt them down wherever they were in the world and kill them. In a horrific manner. In a horrific manner. So even though it was itself contained, it just would immediately just disappear out of containment and go kill that person if that person hadn't seen their face. The implication was, yeah, it could bust through any wall. It could knock down any door. It could jump to at least the height of an airplane or helicopter. There was no stopping this thing if it was on the hunt. Luckily, it only hunted when somebody had seen its face. And I always think it's interesting because it knows if you've seen its face. Like, yeah, even if you're two million miles away and you look at a photo, it instantly knows and starts moving. Ah. Yeah. So uh, it's not, you know, as, as if just that, that act itself sets up a connection between the two of you. So, you know, if you don't see its face, you're like in there using like, I don't know, cameras with, with darkened lenses or whatever like that, you know, maybe, maybe, um, 
uh, oh, uh, ar- uh, not artificial, uh, uh, augmented reality where basically its entire body is, you, you're looking at it on a screen in real time, moving around on a viewplate, and, you know, it, all you see is like a blue outline of the creatures. So you can go in and grab them, take it over, put it into a room, lock the door, and, you know, it basically it, it can be physically restrained as long as it doesn't have a connection with somebody. You know, that's when its abilities come into play and it will, it'll just, as you say, it'll defeat any attempt, you know, to restrain it. So as long as you can put it somewhere and, and of course in the, the example you gave where the, uh, the, the SCP goes rogue, uh, that was one of the things it did. It basically put it on social media across the world, the face of this creature. Millions died. <laughs> and, you know, you could see an artist, artist's rendering of it. You could paint a, paint a picture of it and look at that and be fine. But if you saw a photograph, a live camera feed, or even a recorded camera feed, if it was real It had to be an actual likeness of its face, yes. Yeah. Yeah. In this particular case, there are other things that are, you only have to know about its existence for for that to somehow set up a resonance. To be bad for you, yeah. uh, And some of the uh, more dangerous, infectious mind warping type things are things where if you just know they exist then they uh they start having their effect so that's where you literally would be like that you know you would have to kill the uh the d class um in uh subjects because you couldn't take the chance that the uh uh that the amnesiatic you know uh, uh drug you gave them is is going to is going to fail cuz sometimes they do so you know, better say, better say, the better the world be safe than sorry. I'm sure that's their point of view, or at least the foundation be safe. Right. So those are the three main classes, but then they have a couple other ones that are specialized. Right. Little. There's actually, I think th- well, there's a number of them. Again, the SCP Wiki itself is weird, but there are two more common uh, classes that are used: the Thaumule, which is any. SCP that is used to help the Foundation, particularly in helping to contain other SCPs. Especially, especially Ketters. But one, the one that comes to mind, I think it's uh, SCP-3000, which is a giant Leviathan-sized sea eel that, I think I mentioned it earlier, it eats memories. Um, but it excretes a substance that the uh, the foundation uses to create their memory wiping drugs. Ah. So they don't have it contained. So technically it itself is a Keter object, but it is beneficial to the to the foundation and so they keep feeding people to it so it'll excrete this this goop that they can then use to wipe the memories of anyone they need. Uh so that's like a thought so Thaumiel is like Useful to the foundation, beneficial to the foundation, but again, that's to the foundation. Doesn't necessarily mean to life in general, right? <laughs> it's, it, these are objects that are used by the foundation to do its business, right? And what's the other one? the 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 last big common one is um, neutralized, or there's a, a kind of a side version of it called explain, where whatever it was is no longer anomalous. Um, they've figured out how to make the super psionic child not have psionic powers anymore, or the ghost haunting this object has decided to go away, or it 
if it was a human being with, you know, reality bending powers, they managed to shoot it in the head. Whatever it is, it is now no longer an SCP. Well, it's a neutralized SCP. It's a neutralized, right. I don't think they're never, I don't think they ever become not an SCP. <laughs> but then there's also explained, which I guess is a subversion of that, which, as you mentioned before, explained is any SCP that the Foundation has, quote, scientifically explained to the masses so that it now is part of the common reality. Yeah, they figured out how it does what it oh, does. Oh, so kind of like um, in MIB, where they said, um, yeah, a few things that our alien friends gave us, you know, like Velcro. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it, that, that too, yeah. It's like, it was anomalous because it didn't make sense, but now it's leaked out into the public, and now we just accept it as reality. Well, there's another case where, um, uh, and this is talking about super science, uh, if somebody had a utility fog... Okay, someone seems to have magical powers. They seem to be able to levitate things. They seem to be doing all kinds of stuff. But then you find out it's actually nanomachines working in concert with each other, following uh, some implant or you know, or even verbal commands by the by the person who's using it, uh, and they perform various acts. But you know, and, and and because they're nanomachines, you know, up to a certain time ago, you, you wouldn't be able to see them. You wouldn't even know they were there. At best, you'd look like there was a fog, you know, as, as they, you know, as, as when they got clumped together enough to, sh to create some kind of a, a visually, you know, light impairing um, density. Then, you know, uh, but essentially it's nanomachines working together. We now have the concept of being able of what that is and how that could work, even though we presently don't have the science for it. So therefore, that becomes explained. Before then, it was an unknown SCP, you know, with uh, you know, with un unnatural powers, the ability to confer these 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 so apparently supernatural abilities to a user, when in fact, but you know, and. It's, and they seem to be violating certain things like the law of gravity or, uh, you know, uh, cause and effect. But then, yeah, science and technology progress and you go, oh, I see how that's done. Right. If you took a, 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 if you took a, a paper airplane and you flew it, you know, back in the, 14, in the, in the one, year 1000, they would think that you were performing magic. Okay, now we understand the concept of the of lift and Bernoulli's law and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. You know, so it's now become explained. So there are a few objects where that happens. You know, especially in the area of super science. Uh, of course, it, it could also be something as simple as, well, this is this happens because that object over there is causing it to happen in this one. Yeah, it, this this isn't its own thing. This is a part of this one. Yeah, it's it's a uh, derivative power, and so therefore, what you know, so this thing's powers have been explained. We can set it aside, keep it away from that one. Nothing ever happens. Okay, <laughs> it's it's you know it's it's been explained. It's safe. It's, it truly is safe. Do we have no no need to research it anymore? Right, right. You know, we, now we need to concentrate on its on the source rather than the uh, uh, the derivative. So yeah, okay. So um, now the uh, for those of you who are planning on using these materials uh, uh, as part of a, a Bureau 13 adventure or even if you're running a campaign, these things actually 
uh, all these objects are uh, are submitted into a particular format. So that, you know, once you learn that format, it's really easy to be able to compare them. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's easier to work with because they are standardized. And, of course, it makes sense in the kind of genre because you've got these, you know, this pseudo-scientific organization that, of course, would expect things to be standardized in its submission records. So, uh, 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 Trav, do you know what that, that format is? Oh, SE, uh, item number? Yeah, so it starts off with an item number. So it'd be like SCP-1543, object class, a category name. Let's say it's, a you know, like the Death Notebook, let's say. We'll, we'll use that as an example. A, a book like that would be considered a safe class. Put the book in a drawer or lock it in a vault. Nobody can write in it. Problem solved. Yeah, again, it's like I went to the SCP format. It goes item number, object class, and it goes right to the um, containment categories yeah it's it's yeah it has a cat the object class is the category name so it's either going to be safe okay or it's going to be euclid and then the containment procedure is a detailed listing of all the specific means how to go about containing this like okay if it's that key that uh, jonathan you mentioned earlier the key that if you put it touch it to any lock opens it automatically put it in a drawer and you're fine lock the drawer and don't use another key to open that drawer um, supplements, optional, additional files added to the base document. Probably, let's say, someone managed to let this SCP get out. Well, then we had to go track it down here and deal with this person and just little things that might happen to it or any other addendums that might have they might have found out since they contained it. Oh, by the way, this, you know, creature that we kept in this Site-43, now it's grown another head, you know, so they researched it then. And then security clearances, what you're allowed to know and what has been expunged from the record permanently. This is where they do enhancing horror through absence because, okay, what was redacted? Why was it redacted? And, and who deemed that we should not know this? Probably the O5 Council would just go and go, yeah, get the black marker out and, you know. A lot of these entries on the website are, are kind of written in the idea that you are a civilian or a junior researcher that's managed to get access to the database, typically. Well, yeah, but when they, uh, I would think they'd only have one level of file. All the SCPs would obviously have to be known so anybody in the foundation could be educated on this well usually it depends it depends on are you a d-class who's being briefed on how to stay alive while you clean its cage or are you the researcher who's having to actually learn what all it can do to that d-class you're about to send in to clean its cage and yeah and it's kind of up to the author what kind of what they're assuming the reader's security clearance level is which is why i say i've noticed in recent years they seem to have done less and less of the redacting because it, it gets the implication being most of the readers of the site are now knowledgeable enough to be considered upper clearance level. Uh, again, loose cannon. Well, I noticed on a couple of these uh, objects, they had multiple reports on the object, and they were clearly designed for different levels of, uh, of knowledge and security. So the, the, that's one way of doing it is you just give like a basic piece of information and you redact it. You know, you, you basically have the same thing multiple times, you know, uh, especially when it comes to information about its past, its history. Yeah. Uh, and, and because and a lot of these things will have supplemental 
uh, files attached to the base document. Yeah, things like experiment reports, uh, yeah. transcriptions of uh, video uh, recordings and stuff like that, all sorts of things. Okay, so what what else do, Jonathan, what else do we have uh, to tell these our listeners? Well, one thing that uh, is definitely of importance is that um, the the Foundation isn't the only organization in its universe that deals with these paranormal entities. Um, there are a host of other uh, groups of interest, as I think they're called, that are either allied in competition with, directly opposed to various, just like uh, in the Bureau 13 universe. Um, one of my favorites is um, one organization called Marshall, Carter, and Dark, which are basically just brokers of paranormal objects. They obtain and sell at the highest bid that key that opens any lock. <laughs> right. There, there was a TV series uh, sometime back called The Room, I believe, and and and, and objects that, that people would go into the As long as you didn't shut the door, you could go into the room, do stuff, and then leave. Okay, and a lot and people would go into the room and they would take objects out of the room, and they found after they took the object out of the room, it exhibited powers. He exhibited certain things, like one guy would like comb his hair and he would teleport. Somebody else, you know, would uh, had like a nail or you know like a, a bobby pin if he scratched it on any kind of a resonant surface, uh, every glass within you know a uh, hundred feet would shatter. I mean, just different things that these objects could do, and uh, and there was a whole group of people, you know, rich people, because this, of course, as soon as these objects got out into the world, a world that doesn't believe in the supernatural, per se, and found out that these objects did exist, then of course there was a large number of collectors who were interested in getting their hands on any all or specific items, depending upon what their personal needs were. Anyways, uh, the, the point here is, is that you know people, people who, who want healing are going to be very interested uh, in an object that can do any kind of healing. And of course, you know, uh, if you want to be rich and you have such an object, then of course you're going to find somebody who's in direst need who happens to have the the money to pay for such a thing and try to set up a deal. So these objects pretty quickly rise up in the uh, in value, you know, to an incredible extent. Uh, and of course, if you have an object that pr protects you from harm. Well, every dictator in the world would like that particular object, wouldn't they? So I, I like them too. Uh, it's uh, uh, it, it makes a lot of sense. You know, I know that uh, I'm always in my Bureau 13 game. I'm always getting people saying things like, "Well, is there no objects out there that we can use? Isn't there something that we can, you know, that can help us that does X?" And I'm always like, well, does the Bureau actually have some, such an object or not? And if you incorporate this, you know, if you go through the wiki and say, yes, we want to include these things. No, we don't want to include those in your Bureau 13 campaign. Then you have a ready source of these objects that are either going to be in the hands of the Bureau or they're going to be in the hands of other supernatural people who actually have the ability, who are controlling them. And you might have to go to those people. Um, it, it happened re relatively recently where they went on vacation and they went on a cruise. And every place, 
every time they pulled into a port, the very first question was, hey, is there anything supernatural happening in this town? Let's get the curling detectors out and start riding bicycles around the town, <laughs> see if we can pick up a reading anywhere. There's got to be at least one ghost in this town. Yeah, so they're... They they were doing that every single port they went to, and so I was like, "This is only a half day port, guys. You got to get back to the boat. <laughs> you can't stay here and solve and solve the uh, the haunting." This isn't even in the United States. It's out of jurisdiction for you. It's not even in the United States. Yeah, right. So, <laughs> but you could do that. I mean, that's and that's one of the advantages of using this resource, just like the uh, uh, the vault of items from uh, Friday the 13th or uh, Warehouse 13 is that you, once you decide what you want to include and not include, then you can you have that resource available to you whenever somebody needs it. So it's uh, so I highly recommend that if you're going to use these things, you definitely need to take the time to, you know, look, re- at least read through all of them, you know, make a list of, of the ones you think are, doable in your campaign or that you want to do because i mean some of them might fit in your campaign but you wouldn't want them to actually show up i definitely recommend checking out the wiki but also at the same time you can go on youtube and there's a dozen channels that are just looking at individual like the hottest most popular items from the list and then you can go from there and say oh that looks interesting maybe i'll uh, oh it references this other SCP. Let me go look up that one. Right. And, and a lot of times things that are redacted are actually references to other SCPs. It, it would be hard to actually have the SCP Foundation in the same universe as the Bureau, just because of the power, at least as written. And again, the canon of the SCP universe is muddy, but uh, if you take the standard portrayal of the Foundation and plop them into the Bureau 13 universe, the Bureau wouldn't exist. The Foundation would have wiped them out long ago and taken all their toys. Or vice versa. But yeah, the, these two would not play well, and at the power levels they exist at, they couldn't exist in the same universe as written. Yeah. Well, think of the SCP as basically the uh, the equivalent of the Umbrella Corporation. You know, a, a wide, a, a, you know, a, a worldwide, you know, federation reaching research uh, uh, organization that, you know, can build an entire complex uh, under, you know, underneath the ocean or, you know, uh, that whole thing in Raccoon City. I mean, that's the, so when they talk about sites, that's one of the things it could be. It could be a site could be where they're containing one object or it could be a, a really big place where they're doing a lot of research of all kinds and they need lots of space because they don't want any of these objects very close to any other object. These sites can be big enough to contain Godzilla. 300 foot tall, huh? It's like like the uh, uh, what is it the, um, the 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 construction building the one at NASA the vehicle assembly building assembly building yeah that thing is like a hundred uh, that's like 20, 10, 20 stories tall but that's kind of what we were talking about is like the foundation is so big and powerful that if you were to use them as written within a Bureau thirteen campaign they would have to be like the biggest of big bads that the whole campaign is about taking down or you more likely uh, what we would suggest is if you want to use them as written, it's 
they're in an alternate dimension and the two dimensions, the Bureau 13 universe and the SCP universe are intersecting somewhere. Yeah. And so you might have a, a team of agents investigating some random individual who popped, popped out of nowhere and he identifies himself as, you know, a field agent for the SCP Foundation. Or a D-class. Yeah, like that guy who, who, <laughs> More likely, who typed, yeah. typed in something on a computer and bam, he's in, he's in the Bureau 13 <laughs> universe. <laughs> and now you have two days before the universe is dead. Well, that would be bad in that case. But if you don't kill him, the universe will end. Okay. <laughs> or send him back. I don't know. It's, uh, that, would be, that would be really freaky if all of a sudden they, people started being sent back. You know, and they they mention that that there's also people from the future who sometimes appear in the same location as that laptop. So, all kinds of crazy stuff can go. You can these things can mutate over time. They can change their abilities, or they can either augment, or they can literally change. And of course, experimentation with these objects sometimes causes them to mutate as well. So is a, a, a creative GM can literally do anything they want to with these things. You know, it's, uh, that's one reason why it's, you know, it's, it's great to do that. And since, you know, we're not pu- you're not publishing your adventure, it's perfectly fine to go and take this information off this wiki, you know, uh, and just to keep your players from going to the wiki. <laughs> yeah. And the wiki itself is um, uh, done under the Creative Commons. So yeah. you're always more than welcome to go in and publish your own stuff on the site. Now they do have like a, a, uh, like a, a guidelines and a, and a approval process. So you can't just add anything you want to the wiki. You submit applications and they decide if it's good enough, but yeah, it, it's already shared under creative Commons. So don't feel like you, there are video games being made based on SCP. Well, I mean, black Mesa from, uh, uh, from, uh, uh half-life. It's not based on the SCP, but it could have been because basically the Black Mesa they're they're messing around with stuff and they cause an interventional incursion as a result. Yeah the the idea of a a organization so obsessed with research that they go too far is not new, and it's so good to use. And um, that's the other way you could use just the SCP Foundation itself in Bureau Thirteen is. Don't use them as written. Use them as simply a another organization, maybe of equal strength to the Bureau, that's solely interested in studying the paranormal. And occasionally you have to race against them to, to save that ghost from being sucked over to their containment shed. <laughs> yeah, because I, I know that uh, our players are always wanting to do, you know, capture ghosts and stuff. They think that they think if we can find a disembodied spirit, we can stuff it into a piece of machinery. And then that machinery, you know, is like a robot that works for us now. <laughs> one day it might work. One day it might work. Might work. Might work. Okay. Anything else, Jonathan? One other thing I, 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 I want to, to mention about the foundation is that uh, it, you can also uh, use them for your uh, Fringeworthy campaign. Because, again, because the bending of reality, the exploration of alternate worlds is such a big part of the SCP Foundation, you could easily have uh, an adventure in Fringeworthy where you go onto a world and, again, you find just some random lost interdimensional traveler from the, from the Foundation universe. Or, if you really want a challenge, you stumble upon the SCP universe 
and the foundation finds out about you. Because you're now an SCP. Yeah, you've got these pyramidal glowing things that had, that you can make produce effects, like uh, this thing that will stun, you know, that 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 will cut through metal but won't hurt people. the The cutting beam will not hurt living flesh, but it'll cut through steel. Let's see how we can fool it to cutting flesh. Let's let's try all the different ways we can try that. If I put your arm inside of a of a brat, hey D guy, put your arm inside this <laughs> metal tube. Okay, we're gonna try something. Okay, uh, what do I get out of it? Oh, you'll get ten years off your sentence. Okay. <laughs> All right. Anything else? I think we've done a good enough job of showing why you want to look at this website, why you want to look at the SCP wiki, and start getting some ideas. Well, all right then. Uh, thanks everybody for listening to this. We hope you'll make good use of it. Uh, what is the actual? Uh, we're going to put it into the. What is the actual um, uh, wiki um, uh, location? So it's SCP dash. Wiki, W-I-K-I, dot net. Okay. So now you know. And, uh, you know, pass it around. Uh, get all your friends involved. Form a cult. <laughs> and uh, we'll have more for you next week. But you'll have to wait. So until then. This is Bruce Sheffer saying... There are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.